0: I'm Raheem Edwards, and you're listening to the Sound of Balloons. morning, afternoon, or evening, depending on when this finds you. Welcome to the Sound of the Loons podcast. I'm Steve McPherson, and I'm naturally joined by my bosom buddy, Callum Williams. I'm happy to say that we're recording this podcast today... In the friendly confines of Allianz Field, where the first team just wrapped up practice a short while ago, this is all, of course, in anticipation of the home opener this weekend against New York Red Bulls, presented by Star Tribune. The game kicks off at 6 p.m. Central Time, but the gates will be open a little earlier than usual. Uh, normally, you would be 90 minutes before a kick. It's going to be two hours, so they'll open at 4 p.m., and you can enjoy happy half-hour pricing on canned beers, pizza, soda, popcorn, all the stuff that you love to eat. I am a total sucker for popcorn. I would eat popcorn 24 hours a day if I could. So, uh, And then beginning at 3.30 p.m. on the Great Lawn, there will be food trucks and other entertainments, including a live performance at 4.30 p.m. by hip-hop, hip-hop artist Nerdy. I think that's correct. It's N-U-R hyphen D. It could be nerd, but there's another band called Nerd. So I think it's nerdy, like you're nerdy.
1: I like the way you're looking at me as if I have the answer to this. I just, I just <laughs> wanted a little, you know, support.
0: Okay. <laughs> to say, yeah. Sure. All right, cool. Uh, There remain a limited number of tickets available for the home opener. And honestly, it looks like it's going to be a great Minnesota spring day, taking a little soccer. So head over to MNUFC.com slash tickets to get yours today. All right. Now down to business, a serious amount of goal scoring mixed between some new players, some veterans, just a massive margin of victory, but, Enough about Leicester over Aston Villa. Whoa, come on. (laughs) Behave. Hey! (laughs) Just throwing it out there. Um, All right, let's talk about Minnesota United. Uh, Two away games, six points.
1: Not bad. No, not bad at all. Very, very, very good start. And I was uh, extremely impressed with the front four against San Jose on Saturday. And, you know, look, what I will say is the Earthquakes um, didn't have their best day, no doubt about it. I thought uh, Guram Kashia was was dreadful i thought the goalkeeper daniel vega was perhaps had his, his worst game in major league soccer yeah uh, but the point is, is minnesota united took full advantage of that and it ended up with five but it, it, it really could have been six seven or eight steve you know it was um it was uh, endless flawless attacks from minnesota united and um you know i i was very impressed with them um you know they they unsurprisingly being away from home they didn't have as much possession as you would have thought but sometimes that doesn't matter you know sure. they made the most of the position they did have um i thought they were great moving forward the front four were great finlay again was was fabulous i thought um obviously aiko Parra uh, deservingly awarded the, the the bell bank man of the match and and the um the player of the week in mls as well you know so it's right now it's perhaps been the most Perfect start Minnesota have had to a season, and um, now we have four home games ahead of us.
0: Yeah, I, I will admit. I, so this game, we talked about this a little bit last week. You win that first game, and you're thinking, "Hey, you expect draws on the road, wins at home. Uh, that's the baseline." So you come out of those first two games with two points. Great. We already had three points heading into the second game. So I'm like, "Hey, a draw is great. Four points out of the first two games." I had a little issue with uh, my internet at home. So I had to go over to our, our social media manager's uh, spot, uh, Mike Shields, to watch the game. And, you know, it sort of it only revealed itself right as the game was starting. So I was a little late. I got there about 15 minutes and I was like, oh, Minnesota's already winning. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so and from there, it. it to, uh, to, I just wanted to touch on Vega again because you brought it up. Um, a, a good goalkeeper but just one of those situations where it just seemed like a nightmare game. And I, I thought I found myself thinking about it with regards to goalkeepers in particular. Again, one of the, I think one of the unique challenges for them is that um, I've talked about this before with a couple of different people that, you know, there's certain um, sports soccer is one of them where your effort level can can lift you up right like if 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 you, the game is not going, you can sort of redouble your effort if you just run more and run faster and run harder it, it can get better it's one of the major challenges with golf as a game because there is no effort other than stepping up to the tee and hitting that hitting that ball It's sort of that you have a lot of time to think about what's going wrong or going right between holes mm-hmm. um, and I think that goalkeepers in some sense have some of that going for them when they if you miss that first. If you let one in and you go, well, that was one, right? But then you let another one in it's like, uh, like it can really, it can really snowball. And that's kind of how it felt for Vega. Like it just sort of seemed by the end of the game, like he just couldn't get his feet under him in the right places and was just misjudging stuff.
1: Yeah. It, goalkeeping, I would argue more than most positions in football is, is probably from a psychological point of view, the most intriguing position because you have a lot more time to think about things. Right. Um, I'm not suggesting that nothing happens when the, the, is is nowhere near the goalkeeper or not at their feet or in their hands or whatever because goalkeepers are always watching the game. They're always, you know, the majority of them are barking out instructions because they can see the whole field. Right. Um, particularly to the back line as well. So, uh, But yeah, it, it, it's from a psychological point of view, it's, it's a really intriguing position. And, um, you know, maybe maybe that was the case on um, on Saturday and, and, and Vega um, psychologically collapsed. Um, but there were some of the, the, the goals, in my opinion, uh, and taking nothing away from the goals because the players were in the position t- to to score them. But um, I thought there were one or two that he should have done a lot better on. Sure. Um, and then on the flip side, there were one or two where I thought Minnesota should have done better in front of goal as well. So, mm-hmm. you know, look, it, it catch-22, I guess, but um, it, it wasn't a great day for him in goal. It wasn't a great day defensively for the earthquakes at all. Uh, but it was a very good day for Minnesota from an attacking point of view. And, um, you know, we've we've seen them rip apart the earthquakes. We've seen them do excellence against a a very good Portland Timbers team. Um, and and now the question is, can they continue to be as consistent as they have been in the opening parts of the season? Yeah.
0: Um, speaking of possession, I believe that Minnesota actually has the lowest percentage of possession through two games of any team in the league currently. And yet they have two wins. Um, it seems quite clear that Adrian Heath knows how to play against San Jose. Um, even if it's not his preferred style, which we, you know, he's uh, like a lot of coaches. He would prefer to have more of the ball to be able to control the game that way. But um, I think it says, I think it speaks well to him that he's willing to muck it up, you know, to say like, this is what we're going to be able to get from this Um, San Jose uh, with that man marking scheme. You saw a lot of what we talked about pinpoint passing, moving it quickly from, from, from player to player. And as soon as players were giving up the ball, they were running ahead. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's, that's huge uh, against a team like San Jose. The, the the effort is is one of the biggest things. Um, speaking of efforts, second effort, staying with it. Robin Lud got his first MLS goal off the rebound from Luis uh, uh penalty shot. Um, I I still maintain that I think Ludd is always. I don't. I don't think he's. I mean. It, Adrian has said that he's going to score goals and he's going to assist goals. And I believe those things are going to happen, but I, I still maintain that. I think he does a lot of things that aren't showing up on the score sheet um, week to week. He, a couple of times he's been just on unfor- unlucky with, with, a, with a shot here. He was lucky. He was there to, he was, he was the guy there to, to, to tap in, to put that, that ball in. Um, speaking of, ones that I feel like Vega should have been able to stop. I mean it sort of went right at him but yeah, that, that's he wasn't the really, one. He wasn't yeah. really prepared I think for that second. You know, it's you know, he stopped the first one and then wasn't quite crisp enough to get up in, in time for it it seemed like. But um so we've talked about Robin Lid before. You know, if it's possible we know that Kevin Molino came off um this past game uh with with a bit of a hamstring issue which to my mind given the depth the team has and given some of his issues he's had better to you know play cautious with him if he's good to go he's good to go that's great uh, we saw Hassani Dotson come in in place of him uh, which sort of moved the team into a kind of a hybrid Four, three, three, four two three one. you know, he's sort of, he's a little more central, I think, but he also played uh, on the front foot for a lot of that game as well. Mm-hmm. Hassani is not an option uh, at this point because he was called up to the U23 uh, team for Olympic qualifying, which is great. Congrats to Hassani Dotson. Um, what do you think happens now if Molino can't go? Um, do you think we see Ludd go... Poland in central, you've heard he can play in that number 10 position. Uh, who do we see out left? Like, what's what, what do you think so far? I mean, it's early in the week, we don't know, but
1: Lurd will move into the 10 role, and Raheem Edwards will be on the left hand side. That would not surprise me at all, yeah. And I know straight away because I can hear it through the, through the radio and through the uh, Laptops and every other way that people are listening to this, I can hear people saying, "What about Thomas Chacon?" I can hear them <laughs> yeah. saying it. Yeah, Chacon, he'll be on the roster if this is the case. If Molino doesn't doesn't play, um, you know, he he is begging for an opportunity. Um, but as I've said before, Steve, I, I've not been particularly impressed um, with him over the course of the last couple of weeks in in training, in particular. Um, but, you know, if Molino is unavailable, then, then it wouldn't surprise me if Chacon was was on the bench and, and ready to go. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to get on the field. Right. Um, but I think Raheem Edwards, from what he's shown in training, what he's shown in the, the last uh, couple of minutes that he's that he's come on uh, against San Jose, um, and, and in preseason, you know, he had a re- very, very good preseason, a really good preseason. Absolutely. Um, and let's not forget his caliber as well. He's 24 but he's won an MLS Cup with Toronto FC. Yeah, He's played in the Champions League before. Um, he's very experienced for a 24 year old and, and he is a very mature individual as well. I was quite surprised when we first had interactions with him how put together he was and, and, and not suggesting I thought he was a, a hooligan or anything, but I, I, I didn't think he would be as, as well kept as, as he is and well put together. Um, and uh, he's, he's surprised just about everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was a tremendous piece of business when they got him in from Chicago, and, yeah. and as we've said before, good luck to Wyatt Armsberg. But Armsberg, uh, in my opinion, probably wasn't going to crack this first team. So to get in somebody of Raheem Edwards' stature, and Chicago Fire paid four hundred thousand dollars for him a year ago. Let's not forget. Yeah. Um, it's a tremendous piece of business by Mark Watson, and and, and well done to him for doing that. And um, you know, it's as we've said numerous times already, Steve. The depth on this roster is is. The best it's ever been. There's no question, and it's because of players like Raheem Edwards. We can we can make that statement.
0: Yeah, I think I think that's important to keep in mind with regards to Chacon and and, and his minutes or his you know his immediate uh, future in terms of getting onto the pitch is that, um, I think that that. Fans overall probably underrate the importance of consistency um, within a team. Um, I think when you look at people talking about it, it's like, well, why not try this, try that, try this, like try throw this guy here, try this formation. Um, I appreciate how that's attractive as an idea, and the idea of experimentation is interesting and mm-hmm. it's novel, and obviously there's some benefits that can be that can come from flexibility. But I think that there's there's so much benefit to be be had by consistency of, of expectation and consistency of performance. And Adrian uh, from day one has always said, I mean, the the, the players pick the team. Like I, they, they pick themselves by their effort. Um, and I think if you look at, you know, in training Raheem Edwards versus Thomas Jacone, like Raheem has, has blown him out of the water right now in the first – over preseason in the first weeks of, of the season right now. Um, and I think that that if you keep that consistent – if that is what players expect and that's what players understand, you have to and you stick to that. That becomes its own value. Um, and you say, "This is this guy has worked the hardest. He's shown the best in training. He goes in when somebody else is out. And then if you want to get that spot, that's what you do. And I think that if you start messing with that, if you start paying attention." you know, to what people want or what the, the narrative is or what the expectation is or how much a guy was paid or how much they paid for him. It, as soon as it becomes inconsistent, then I think you start seeing the dissolution of some of the fabric that keeps a team together. And so I think it's easy. It's easy if you're clear. This is effort is rewarded. Um, on game days when we need guys. And Mm -hmm. I think if you stick, and by that metric, I think Raheem is in that spot.
1: Yeah, and also going back to to the depth as well, another person who was absolutely necessary in the dying embers of the San Jose game was Aaron Schoenfeld. There's a reason why he was brought in. And at that stage of the game, possession was very important. Aaron Schoenfeld gives Minnesota that option to be direct and to hold the ball up. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I thought it was the right move by Adrian Heath uh, to to bring on Aaron Schoenfeld and, and... and possess a little more. You know, I know the scoreline, it was 5-2. The game was was more or less over. But, you know, sometimes, you know, what he came on with, what, 10 minutes to go or something. You know, a lot can change in 10 minutes in this game. Sure. So bringing on somebody who you know is going to maintain possession, who's not going to give the ball away as much um, and, and can play off of... Um, you know, the, the the three players behind, or, or as it was the two players behind then. Um, I, I thought it was, uh, you know, again, a tremendous showing of the depth that Minnesota United have. And um, th- there'll be times when Mason Toy is, is the more sensible option, no doubt about it. Mm-hmm. Um, if Minnesota are chasing the game, for example, and they need a bit of speed, they, they need uh, to get in behind a little more and, and they maybe need to stretch the back line a little more uh, to create spaces for the three behind uh, the forwards. Um, but I thought on... Um, on Saturday, Aaron Schoenfeld was the was the the obvious and, and right option, and and it proved to be the case in the end.
0: Yeah, let's uh, talk about a couple other individual performances. Eiko Parra won Player of the Week, as you mentioned, deservedly so. I don't know if he can mount another Defender of the Year campaign, simply because the turnaround was so drastic last year. I mean, that to to spearhead that kind of defensive turnaround in terms of, you know, goals conceded and, and everything like that, you sort of need that effort somehow again, which would mean giving up something like 10 goals this year to sort of, to sort of uh, sort of get that same result. But I I feel like it's, if it hasn't been crystal clear to people already, it's, it's becoming more and more clear that he is the most important player on this team. I think just in, in, as a leader, As um, an anchor in the back line, as someone to just break up any kind of attack that's coming forward. And now, you know, aerially on headers, uh, you know, we saw some last year and, you know, he's already got two goals this season. He's on the same pace as Luis Amaria, who wants 25 goals this season. Um, I just, I can't say enough good things about Ike Opara.
1: Ike exactly what this team needed at this stage last year. Uh, And as you say, 2019, MLS defender of the year. Um, deservedly so. He was great. Um, I'll take issue with the fact that you think he's the most important player in, okay. on the team. Because right. I still think that there's... I would argue Ozzy Alonso is still absolutely vital to how this team wants to play in okay. terms of, of possession and quick turnover and, and, and whatnot. Um, I think Jan Gregorius is starting to, to be amongst that conversation now as well. I think Molino, um, when he's fit and, and, and when he's in the form that he was in Portland, I, I don't think there's a player... Minnesota have that can change your game as quickly as Molino does. Um, but look, I mean, yeah, obviously Ike Parra defensively, you're probably right, probably the most important defender that Minnesota have uh, taking nothing away from Michael Boxall who's been flawless as well. Um, but I, this this team is just so deep right now, Steve. Even if, you know, Parra or Boxall were to go down with an injury, um, you know, hopefully in a, in, a, well, in a couple of weeks there'll be Brent Kalman available and and if it was to happen this week, uh, Jose Aha is is available, and you know Aha was was a starter for someone like Vancouver a couple of years ago. You know when he started a lot of games for Orlando, and I, I just I've never seen a, a roster as deep as this one. And and the good thing is as well is that the roster got a bit younger as well, which is what they were yeah. they were looking to do. Um, you know, bringing in some of the, the younger lads like Raheem Edwards and Jacory Hayes. Um, you know, and, and, and even Aha, who's in his mid to late twenties. You know, it's um, it's something the team wanted to do and i'm glad they've, they've been able to do it in the manner in which they they have and, and even tyler miller as well i think miller has has been fabulous so far you know the only things that have gotten past him have been penalty kicks you know and and, and a deflected efforts yeah. um you know and, and that's it um so i i i think this team as i said steve i'll, I'll continue to say it um i, I think it's the best team that, that minnesota have had i think it's it's probably and I think he'll say this as well. It's probably the best team Adrian Heath has had yeah. since he's come in to North America. Uh-huh. Yeah, I
0: think that's fair. I think that the um, that getting younger, getting young, it's it's. It, I mean, it's sort of spun as simply getting younger, but it's like getting hitting that like guys in their mid twenties with experience. Who still have room to grow a little bit more into their primes? Like it's just such a sweet spot of guys. And we've talked about it before with Raheem Edwards, where he had, you know, a very good start to his MLS campaign, um, a little up and down and uneven since then. Um, a guy like James Musa, who sort of bounced around in a couple of different places, had a great season for for you know uh, in USL last season. Um, to get those guys who have that, you know, again that trade is like Wyatt you know, was a little bit younger and you know, you weren't sure like where the development was going to get Raheem Edwards for him. You've sort of again it's these guys in that 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 real sweet spot of of they're young and so they're athletic. They bring a little more physicality and speed to the game. Um, but they have room to get better from where they're they're also not a finished product, which is great. Um you mentioned Jan Gregor. I wanted to mention him also, made the team of the week. Uh his service on corner kicks was uh stupendous. I mean yeah. after after we saw, you know, he was brought in as sort of a, a set piece specialist. Um, it was a little uneven to start the season last year. Uh, it's, it's on point right now. And he threw in one of those Sasani Dothan-style bangers. Uh, and through two games, he has two assists and a goal. I feel like my preseason, my pre-season prediction of, of him stepping up big in his second year, I feel like I seem pretty uh, prescient right now.
1: Yes, absolutely. Yeah, you fit the nail on the head there, Steve. And, and, and look, this is what should be happening He's now had a year to adjust, yeah. not only to the way that football is played in this country, but but to the lifestyle here as well, and um, and 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 how to to live here. And um, you know, I think he uh, he's certainly taken on. I mentioned it earlier on. He's taken on more of a role for sure in in the locker room. You can see him putting his arm around players and whatnot, some of the younger lads, for example. And um, you know, as I mentioned earlier on about Raheem Edwards, um, you know, being um, I, I thought he would would have been a lot more raw. I didn't realize he was well put together as as he is as a player and stuff. And um, there was a few times in training where you could tell he was getting frustrated because he does have a bit of an edge to him. Mm. And Jan Gregoos put his arm around him and said, you know, you're okay, you know, carry on doing what you're doing, you know, and yeah. look at the coaches, they're, they're excited, they can see what you're doing. And um, Minnesota, for the first two years, didn't have leaders like this. And, and now we have an abundance of them. Yeah. Um, with Gregoos and Alonso and Michael Boxall and Iko Parra, the spine of this team has never been stronger. Um, you know, but but um, Jan Gregus is is great in terms of um, they were working on this throughout the preseason um, and I saw it clearly in the second game against Portland in, in the Portland preseason tournament, where they would they would get the ball into the two central midfielders very quickly indeed, and then they would play it even quicker up to the three behind the forwards. Um, and that's what I, I think San Jose were we're struggling a little bit over the weekend to, to deal with that, to deal with how quickly the ball was, was getting pressed forwards. Um, accompanied by the movement off the ball of Amarillo, that created so much space. It, that's mm-hmm. twice now in two games that Amarillo has, has caused havoc with his movement off the ball, um, and it's allowed the other players to uh, to move around. And especially with the way San Jose play as well, I, I couldn't believe, Steve, the... the I, I, I'll say I, I, I thought it was borderline naive that Almeida would have somebody marking, for example, Ethan Finlay on the right-hand side. He'd have Nick Lima as tight as possible. Uh, and and if Finlay, all he's got to do is maneuver inside and, and Lima would follow him. And R- Roma Metinier has a clear space ahead of him. And there's, there's so much space there. I, I couldn't believe that Almeida was sticking with this. Mm-hmm. And, and look, I, I know um, Lima got taken off at half-time because he, he wasn't great. Um, and, and Salinas was a little more disciplined. Um, But I I just couldn't believe that that after a year of doing this, where it was okay for San Jose, it would cause problems, but if you know how to play against it, which it's obvious Adrian Heath and Minnesota United do, why do it again? So I, I thought it was a bit bizarre, to be honest, that they, I, I understand the, the first 30 minutes tried out. Sure. But it, it was obviously, there was no backup plan. They had no way to, to cope with yeah. Minnesota United. And, and yeah. you know, I, I just thought it was bizarre, but but that is also credit to Minnesota United and the homework they did during the week and obviously knowing how to, to play against a side like San Jose. But um, yeah, look, I, I thought some some really intelligent movement off the ball from from the front four, for sure. And uh, again, Ethan Finlay, I thought was great. I thought Robin Lurd's, uh, it was good. Um, and when, even when Molino came off, I thought Dotson playing a little higher than, than the other two caused issues. But but Amaria against Steve, just, just yeah. the movement off the ball causes so much trouble.
0: Yeah, that, I wanted to touch just briefly on Amaria Cal for that. It's sort of what you're saying that I, I, he – I think he's really showing – and maybe this seems obvious, but um, – really showing the utility of, of flexibility uh, at, at the, at the, the front line there in terms of his movement, uh, his distribution, you know, he got an assist in the game, uh, d- sort of different ways to be threatening, running away from the ball, running onto the ball, drawing defenders, things like that. It, you know, it's, it's something that um, Minnesota United has not really had yet. It sort of seemed like with, you know, we sort of Andolo Rodriguez thing was hold up play and that was sort of, but you sort of, you knew what you were getting when the other team knew what to expect with Angelo Rodriguez, he was going to look to get into a guy and hold up the ball. Right. And you could see it when, when Angelo would get the ball in space suddenly with the ball at his feet, it was like, what are you, do, what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. Like he, he, he didn't really have a lot of utility there. Um, you know, and so I think that, uh, you're seeing with Amaria, it's like, he can do, he can affect the game in so many different ways. It just keeps the other team off balance, and that's a big thing. I think.
1: I think the thing with with Angelo Rodriguez, and I say this with all due respect, because I know he's had a decent start back down in Colombia. Um, he, he in a salary cap league, his output was was not enough, um, and he was too expensive for, for what he what he gave back. Right. Um, and that's not necessarily his fault. No, certainly um, not. So, uh, you know, I know as I said, I know he started well um, back down in South America. Um, but uh, you know, when you bring on someone like Aaron Schoenfeld, who I don't know what he's earning, but I, it's going to be nowhere near what Angelo Rodriguez yeah. was was earning. It, right. He's a really good depth piece, and again, it just gives Minnesota so many different options um, off the bench and, and how to play. And you know, it, what, what I will say as well, Steve, is I thought defensively, um, I thought the shape was really, really good as well. We we've seen this for a long time now. When Minnesota get comfortable, um, they, they they do divert back to a. It's almost a four four one one. And, and there, is, there is a flat four in midfields. Yeah. Um, and that causes problems for people because they, they can't necessarily find the gaps that would be there before. And, um, you know, I, I just thought, honestly, Steve, I think this is the most organized team I've seen Minnesota have. Um, and I just, I said this earlier on today when we've been watching the team train here at Allianz Field. I, I just don't fear any MLS team when they're playing here at Allianz Field. Yeah. I just think this is this is such a fortress for this team. And given the momentum that they have already, I again, I, I can't see anything but a win against the Red Bulls here on Sunday. Yeah. All
0: right, we're going to veer precipitously away from soccer briefly, sort of like a palate cleanser here. Sometimes we talk about stuff at the beginning of the podcast and we get into the soccer. I thought I'd throw it in the middle here. So I want to talk about jam bands. And I don't know if you care anything about jam bands, but I just had uh, a jam band experience this week. So it's a jam. It oh, was a jam band. Good question. Thank you. <laughs> um, for, for people in, in England who might not know, or, or other listeners at home, um, a good example of a jam band is fish, a band from Vermont with a, a rabid following. Um, I would say that jam bands arose to prominence sort of in, in the nineties, which is sort of what I'm going to talk about, uh, with, with with bands who sort of cut their teeth on playing a lot and playing these long shows, and you know, sort of in the the spirit of the Grateful Dead, this idea of the ex- sort of extended improvisation and and sort of going way out there, and a lot of pyrotechnical guitar abilities and things like that. Um, it's not a genre I listen to now, barely at all. But um, there was this band that I loved, uh, sort of circa high school and then early into college, called the Hatters, and they were a jam band. They came out of uh, New York City. Uh, a scene that was in New York City that also spawned the Spin Doctors. You may have you may have heard of the Spin Doctors. I, you're going to be
1: incredibly disappointed with my my lack two, of knowledge Two princes. Here. Do
0: you know the song Two Princes? No. Okay. Blues Traveler. No. Okay. All right. So they're, <laughs> so they were the same scene as those two bands. Um, the thing about the Hatters is they had uh, like a very distinct two guitar thing uh where they had two lead guitarists and it was sort of like the almond brothers have you heard of the almond brothers band i've heard of the Allman okay brothers, yes, all right yes. so uh so they had a little more of a southern rock feel uh you know which which gave them a different thing the almond brothers were also sort of a jam band um the thing about the hatters is they never made it they they were signed to atlantic records uh and this came up uh, in this other podcast i was listening to a podcast called reply all that has a fantastic episode this week I recommend everybody listen to it. It's been sort of making the rounds on social media. It's about this this song that this guy remembered, but he couldn't remember who, like anything about it. And he couldn't find anything about it. So they go into this mystery of why does this guy know a song that no one has heard of? And they figure this stuff out. But in, in terms of investigating this, this comes up that um, so the Hatters were assigned to Atlantic Records, you know, in the mid to late 90s, which was a time when the, the record industry was making just like a stupid amount of money. Like it was this is pre-streaming CDs cost 18, 19 dollars when they weren't on sale at Sam Goody. So um, so they were making so much money. Labels would the, the model then was sort of labels would sign bands, give them a, like a stack of cash to sort of make a record or whatever. And then that was kind of it. They gave him some money. And then it was like, if the record made money, if suddenly it was a hit, it was a huge return on the investment because they had just laid out some, like what was to them a piddling amount of money. Um, if it didn't hit, it meant nothing to lose 50,000, $100,000, like while the band themselves sort of racked up debt supporting the album. So, um, So the Hatters broke up in like 95 or 96 and just like disappeared. The, the members went off and did other stuff. Um, but I, I, and I had sort of forgotten about them. They were sort of my favorite band back then. But they, their stuff is now up on streaming uh, on Spotify, uh, which is great. And I went down sort of like a mini rabbit hole of like, I'm going to go listen to their, these records I haven't really listened to in like 20 years or something. Um, and I'm, I have to tell you, they're not great. Like it's not. It's not like I discovered something that I'm like, oh man, this band was much better than I thought they were. They're goofy. They're, there's a song about frog racing frogs. I mean, it's just like they have this sort of off the, off the deep end weirdo mythology about all this weird stuff, right? The guitar is still very good and everything like that. But the thing that I really wanted to say is that it really awakened in me this appreciation for the fact that they didn't really seem to care what anybody thought about them Mm. in a way that I just don't think a lot of music is, is made that way these days. There's really this feel of like, we like playing with each other. We like playing, we like writing songs. If you guys are here for that. Great. If you're not, I mean, we're still going to do it because we just enjoy this thing, you know, regardless of, of the consequences. And it was really it was sort of really refreshing to listen to that because I feel like so much of what we consume these days, like from music, movies, TV, there's like a lot of concern, not just from the people who are in charge of it, the people who make money, the studios, the labels and everything like that, but the actual musicians, the creators, about how their fans feel about what they're making. I mean, we run into this with sports and sort of the discourse on social media. There's It's so easy to give your feedback about everything constantly. And I think that creators often either try to sort of conform to it or they're... They're like openly antagonistic to it. They're like, I don't, I don't engage in that. In a sort of, they sort of take a position that informs their music. But you know, some of these jam bands, it just sort of felt like they just didn't care. It was kind of like, this is the music, and if you like it, then great. And it's just kind of nuts to me that any of these bands were reasonably popular. Like Spin Doctors or Blues Traveler had hits on MTV because, again, it's sort of they wrote they wrote some pop songs, but. Mostly they liked you know, playing live shows and like playing 10-minute songs and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. it's just kind of fun to hear something that doesn't really care whether you like it or not.
1: Yeah, in, in today's world particularly where, where just about everybody is um, offended as easily as possible, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I would I agree with that. In, in terms of music at the moment, Steve, I was having this conversation with someone the other day. I don't, I don't get excited by music anymore. I just, I don't remember the last time a record came out, record, <laughs> song came out. I still call them records, Okay, so it's we go. okay, Sorry, all right, um, I still buy them. I, I can't remember the last time one came out, and I thought to myself, oh, you know, wow, that, that's a thats a really good song, and, and it got me excited and made the hair stand on the back of the neck, you know, yeah. it's, I, I haven't, you know, and, and maybe it's just because I'm just getting older and, and, and not really in tune with going on nowadays and not down with the kids anymore. But I just, um <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I was listening to, like this morning, I was getting ready to come to the stadium and I was blasting the Rolling Stones. And I was like, I did, you know, music just, it's so different now, you know? Yeah. And, and I, I look, I, I was certainly one of those kids back home in England that, that were into the, the trance and dance and techno type music as well as the sort of the the indie rock and roll stuff. Sure. But even now, when you think of of uh, groups from from those two genres I just mentioned. I I just don't get excited by it anymore. And and I'm not necessarily saying that music is any worse now. Um, I I just, I don't know why. I just don't get excited by it anymore.
0: Yeah, you know, I think there's a couple different dimensions to that. I mean, part of it is we do get older. And so it's, you know, we're not as engaged with it constantly. I do wonder sometimes what we've lost in terms of having streaming and Spotify and things like that, because, you know, it used to be you had to sort of make a a hobby of of following music. You had to... Um, put in some time and, you know, some legwork in terms of, you know, tracking down hard to find CDs. I mean, I remember going on Gem G E M M, which was this great website for you could find out of print stuff. And you could, you know, you would go to the record store and you would you would special order things. They would find you things on import, you know, you would sort of like every Tuesday go in there and see what the new releases are. You could you'd have to go to a place to put on headphones to listen to the music before you bought it and then decide if you wanted to buy it or not. Um, I mean, I remember these great record stores like Other Music in New York when I lived there um, where you would go in and there would be, like, staff recommendations and they would have a little write-up of something. And I discovered, I mean, I discovered a ton of stuff that is still stuff I love through that, uh, through, you know, employees saying, like, this is a record store saying this is what I want or this is what I, I, I like, this This is, I recommend this if you like these other bands and things like that. Um you know that that stuff is so present constantly now. Like you're, oh, it's a, it's a playlist by this person I like. Here's all the music. But you just turn it on, and then as soon as you you send somebody talks to you, you just turn it off, and you mm-hmm. don't. You know, it's like it's it's hard to sometimes carve out those spaces for really appreciating it. So I don't know. I mean, there's still stuff that gets released that I get really excited about. Um, there's still artists I get excited about. Um, but I feel you. It's it it feels a little. It's almost too
1: easy. Yeah. Well, and this is going to date me terribly now, but I remember on uh, on a Sunday afternoon in, in the UK, they used to have the, the top 40 yeah. um, songs that were that were going on at the time, um, you know, the chart music and stuff. And I would sit there on a Sunday afternoon and I'd have several favorite songs that were in the charts at the time. Um, but, you know, I was a kid, I didn't have any money to go and buy the albums or whatever. So what I would do, I would get a, a tape recorder and, and I would stay there by the radio, hit records <laughs> when the song came on yeah. that, that I wanted and, and obviously press stop then. And you, you, you have to time it out just right because right. if you don't you get the start of what the dj is just yeah. about to say as he's pitching to the next song or something you know and <laughs> yes. that's what we had to do that's what yeah. we had to do to literally craft our own album um and, and yeah like you said it, it, it perhaps there was a little more of a of a lust for music then because it wasn't as easily accessible um, yeah. and that's not necessarily a bad thing now i think it's great that you can get music as easily as we can but yeah i, I do wonder if we've if we've lost a certain romanticism about it i don't know
0: yeah well, moving on. That was my palate cleanser. <laughs> Let's talk about uh, Red Bulls. Uh, Red Bulls have a win and a draw through the first two games. Uh, the win was at home against FC Cincinnati. 3-2, not a super flattering scoreline overall against FC Cincinnati. Um, they also got a draw against RSL in Salt Lake, which, good. It's up to play in in, in Utah, in and in, it's it's at altitude and everything like that. But that was also – on a Demir Krylock goal and stoppage time sort of brought it level. And then Cincinnati also pulled within one in like the final 10 minutes of the game. The Red Bulls seem, you know, like they're still well coached. They still have that identifiable style, uh, which Adrian alluded to, you know, that they're, they're going to press, they're going to attack. They're going to try to win that ball and, and get it back up the field as soon as they can. But it does sort of feel like they seem vulnerable right now.
1: I would agree that they still have their identity that they've had for many years. But the question is now, do they have the players to do it? Yeah. Um, Looking at the, the 11 that started against Salt Lake, um, this is not surprising because the Red Bulls, as far as I'm aware, the Red Bulls are still at the top of the charts in terms of how many Academy players have come straight into the homegrown system and, and and become professional players. Um, So their identity has changed big time over the last 10 years, because you think about it, you know, uh, Ten, nine, eight years ago, it was Rafa Marquez, Thierry Henry, yeah. Joel Impero, all, all these types of, of players that were coming over uh, from Europe. Um, and, and now it's, you know, they, they have a lot of the younger players. Uh, you know, Davis in the center midfield has been a part of the academy and has been a regular for for a couple of years. But um, the, the other players like like Duncan, who I thought was actually very good against Salt Lake and, yeah. and, and White, the center forwards, um, as well, a young player who's come through the ranks as well. They're, they're just a little bit, um, that they, they, they aren't the Red Bulls that they used to be. Um, and I'm interested to see what they look like in a couple of years, because if these kids keep playing at this level, then they're going to be very good, at, of right. course, if they're effective. Um, you know, look, they still have some decent... Players like Shutkovsky uh, in in midfield is good. Daniel Roy is obviously very effective yeah. as well. Has been Valo, for a couple Valo of years. Valo looked really good. Valo looked good. You know, Casarez did did okay as well. The the big one for them though, Steve, and and I, I do wonder if if he's got enough about him. They need more from Kaku. They yeah. simply need more from him. Yeah. Um. It you know he, he he came off against Salt Lake. Um. And and he was he was just okay. Um. And I I do wonder if. He's not having a good game. I wonder if he's one of these players, but if he doesn't have a good game, the Red Bulls don't have a good game, you know, because he's so important to, to how they work. And, um, you know, defensively, they're, they're vulnerable as well. I know, I know they they just signed a, a left back from from the second division in France as well. I don't know if he's going to be available on Sunday, but mm-hmm. um, that could potentially help them. Uh, but having having Amaral Tarek at, at centre-half, who's not a centre-back, yeah. um, hurt them. You know, obviously Aaron Long is still still injured, allegedly, um, I, I don't know how, what the situation there is. I don't know if his head's been turned because there was a bid turned down from, from the Premier League with West Ham. Um, Tim Parker is still one of the best centre-halves in, in Major League Soccer for me as well. Uh, and they have a new goalkeeper as well in Jensen. So um, I, I've said this before, I, I think this is a, a transitional year for the Red Bulls. Um, they've been about as consistent as can possibly be in, in MLS in terms of getting to the playoffs every year. And then they always seem to fall short. Um, so I don't know that they're they're about as... Unrecognisable of a side uh, in MLS, in my opinion, right now compared to what they used to be. So, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. But when you become unrecognisable, it's because you don't really have an identity. And whilst they still have that that identity from from years gone by that, that Jesse Marsh instilled, um, I I still I still don't know what to expect from the Red Bulls this year. Yeah. Um. I I don't know. I, I just don't know what, what to, to think of them. Um, my only thought is that they are weaker than what they were last year from a personnel point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm intrigued to see what they have, what, what, what happens with them, Stephen, what they can offer, but they are a lot younger, a lot younger. And again, that's not necessarily a, a bad thing, but I'm, I'm just intrigued to see where they are at the midpoint of the season because with what they have right now, I'm not convinced they're going to be over the line when it comes to, to the end of the season.
0: Yeah. The, the identity question is an interesting one that I think it sort of brings up a, a sort of chicken and an egg issue with, you know, this is, if your identity is this, but you don't have the personnel to execute it so that it you can, so it can be seen or felt. Is it your identity anymore? Um, you know, you, you can want to play, you know, if you're, if you're, a coach who's like, I want to play a possession based football, but you don't have the, the personnel to do that does it really matter? Mm-hmm. Like if that's what you think the identity is like, I mean, any of us, it's like, Oh, this is who I am. It's like, well, are you actually like that? Or are you just going to act like that? But you can't really, you naturally, you're not going to be, you're not going to be able to hold it up. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens at, at Allianz field. We've talked before about the question of, you know, do teams start playing Minnesota a little differently at Allianz field? Mm-hmm. Uh, is there more of a a, a, a sort of a sitting back? I don't see Red Bulls sitting back basically, um, you know, no matter, no matter what, again, because of this idea of of the identity they want to sort of impress upon other teams. So this might not be the best litmus test for how Minnesota plays with more of the ball. They might still end up with not as much of the ball as, mm. as the Red Bulls, but could still win, I think.
1: Yeah. I think, um, like you said, it, it, it depends on what philosophy they adapt. Do they carry on with their own, you know, pressing sort of game or, or do they, um, do they remain, remain a little deeper, which, which would suit Minnesota, by the way, if they remain deep. But um you know, I think the, the Minnesota United of last year would have had an issue with with teams sitting deep. Yeah. But I think because the, the front four now are about as lethal as, as can possibly be, um, and because there's, there's threats from just about every area on the field, I, I do think if the Red Bulls are pinned back inside their own area, all that's going to do is invite pressure from from Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And eventually they will break through. So um, I'm intrigued to see it, Steve. I, I really am. I can't wait for Sunday. It's, it's, it's so good to, to be back home. You know, yeah. after all the travelling with pre-season and then the, t- the first two games, um, I'm happy to be home, so I'm sure the players are, are absolutely thrilled. Um, so it's it, it's going to be interesting, and, and I can't wait to, to see, um, you know, the Wonderwall in, in all its glory and, and you know, the, the entirety of the stadium. I can't wait to, to go and have a have a drink in the brew hall afterwards and, and uh, get the light rail to the stadium on a match day. You know, I love doing that. And, and by the time I usually go is when the first sort of um flickers of, of Minnesota United fans are out and about and you can you can hear them talking about the game and talking about the team what's Adrian going to do and I, I love that on a match day you know so I, I can't wait Steve it's going to be great on Sunday it really is
0: yeah I feel like about a you know about a year ago we were here at Allianz Field before a game had even been played um talking about what it was going to be like it's uh, it's pretty exciting to be back uh in the place again uh you know guys are out there mowing mowing the pitch um now knowing a little bit of what it's like and thinking about those moments that, again, I think I talked about this last season that, you know, there's, there's all this anticipation and sometimes the anticipation gets in the way of, of experiencing the, the place itself. I mean, I think we saw that it was the thing that Ike alluded to in, in his availability today, that it took about five games for the team to sort of start feeling like it was, it was home. And so sometimes those sort of that anticipation gets in the way of just the natural feel of it. But I think back now to those moments when it was just felt like that, that pure feeling of, of joy or excitement at, at, at a goal uh, or a stop. You think about, you know, um, Vito Minone's stop against Dallas. You think about Hassani Dotson's goal that clinched the playoffs. Mm-hmm. You know, you think, and you think about those moments that are going to come, you know, you think about Hassani, any of Hassani's <laughs> goals, basically how exciting all of them were. You think about any of that stuff and the moments that are going to come this season and give you that feeling. It's, it's, it really is like nothing else. I got to say.
1: Yeah. I, I can't wait, Steve. There's, fortunate that I've been to, to just about every MLS stadium now apart from the, the new expansion teams obviously um, and the, the atmosphere here on the match day is is, is fantastic it's second to none and, and I, I, I can't wait again I, and the only thing I hope that's not a guarantee um, I really hope that we hear the first wonder wall of, of the season yeah. that would be that, that would top off just about everything that would and, and, and would Chris and what a fabulous start this has been to the campaign. Yeah,
0: it would make, it'd make for a great first game. Thanks for joining us for the 95th Sound of the Loons podcast. Minnesota United's next game is on Sunday, March 15th, as the Loons take on the New York Red Bulls in the home opener presented by Star Tribune. Kickoff is set for 6 p.m. Be sure to leave us a nice review on iTunes or at the very least a five-star rating and follow the team on Twitter at MNUFC and Cal at CalWilliams.com and me at Steve Ventress. Apologies, as always, to Richard Wagner. And remember, there's only one person in this whole world like you, and people can like you exactly as you are. Your story, it lives in River City, where you can enjoy a metropolitan vibe and a small-town
1: feel, where we set the standard for service and looking out for one another where there's so much more than steak in our thriving food scene. Your story is the story of Omaha, told by those who live it and love it. Whether that's helping you keep up with the Cornhuskers or creating the content you crave. And here in the Omaha World Herald is where it comes to life. Omaha World Herald, where your story lives.
0: Whether it's baker's simple truth turkey or mac and cheese with Murray's English cheddar,